Let us pray. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be always acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. Today is called Maundy Thursday, which is the beginning of what uh, used to be referred to as the Triduum, which is the period leading up uh, to that great feast of Easter where we tread this path of Holy Week and all of it begins to come together in this one night. And there are so many things that happened on this night. We have the washing of the disciples' feet. We have the institution of the Lord's Supper, the sacrament of Holy Communion. We have Jesus' betrayal by Judas. We have the Garden of Gethsemane. But it is interesting that the name that is given to this night is Maundy Thursday, which comes from the last thing that you might think of, which is the commandment that Jesus gives, where he says, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. And as you will notice in the scripture that we read for tonight's gospel, it starts off saying, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And depending on which translation you see, it may be he loved them to the end, or he loved them to the uttermost, or he showed them the full extent of his love. And if we read on a little farther uh, in this passage in John 13, beyond what we had tonight, we would see that new commandment. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is the thing that binds together all of the other aspects of this night. And so we're going to focus and reflect tonight on two questions. The first question that we're going to reflect on is how did Jesus love? And the second question is how are we to follow his example and his very specific instruction where he says, you are to do just as I have done. So the context of tonight is important as we begin to look at these questions. And as you look at the painting that is on the cover uh, of the service leaflet, I want to tell you that there's one thing that's really right about it and then one thing that's really wrong. Uh, the thing that's right is that in the foreground, prominent in the painting, is a very large basin and then a very large pitcher of water, which rightly puts our focus on the fact that Jesus was going to wash the disciples' feet. But the thing that is really wrong here is that when you look at the people around that table, they're... Uh, how shall I say this nicely, old. Uh, they are, perhaps maybe some of them might look like they're in their 30s or 40s, but a lot of them look like they are way past that. And uh, if you can see all the way up to where Justin here is, Justin's 35, everybody at that table was younger than Justin. Most people think that the, the scholars who've examined this believe that most of the disciples were between 18 and their 20s. So when we envision this upper room in the Last Supper, 
We need to envision a group of young men who are there together. And it is an interesting thing because we need to see this with fresh eyes and see these young men who have all come together and Jesus talking to them about love. Now, that is not the usual topic of conversation for 20-year-old men. But Jesus talks to them about love. And then he does something that is even more shocking. Remember, we're at the time of Passover, which is a ceremonial meal in Judaism, um, even more so than for most of us, Thanksgiving's a ceremonial meal in our families. There's a liturgy for Passover, it's formal, it's all of these things. And in the middle of it, Jesus stands up and starts taking off his clothes. Now this is not normal. We've heard this so many times, you think, oh, that's just what they did. That is not what they did. This is not normal, it is shocking. And what is even more shocking is that Jesus then begins to wash their feet a job reserved for the lowliest servant in a household. It was a dirty, grimy, unrespectable job, and no Jewish teacher ever would have washed his disciples' feet. And so this is shocking, and part of what makes it so shocking is the lead-in that John gives us. He says, knowing that he came from God and was going to God, and that the Father had given all things into his hands, well, with that preamble, you expect that Jesus is gonna do a miracle or that lightning is going to fall or something miraculous like that, but instead, it says he girded himself with a towel and washed his disciples' feet. And that meant that he had to kneel down before them, a posture of abject humility that no man would ever voluntarily have taken. Decades later, when the apostle Peter is remembering this, when he writes his epistle, he put his instruction to the church like this. Yes, all of you be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. But it's interesting when you look at what Peter said literally, it means wrap the apron of humility around yourself. This image from that night was seared into Peter's mind and stayed with him for the rest of his ministry. So let us look at how Jesus loved. How did Jesus love? And we're going to just look at some aspects about this because this is incredibly important. We mouth these words all the time, Jesus is love, Jesus loves me, this I know. But we don't ever think really, if you're like me, about what that really means. And so we're gonna examine a few things. And the first I'd like to examine is that the, one of the ways that Jesus loves is he showed his love. He didn't just talk about it, he showed it in action. And one of the remarkable things is that in this passage tonight, we see an illustration of that great verse from Philippians 2 about Jesus being in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant. And look at what Jesus does here. What he models in washing their feet is a model of his whole ministry, and it's like a parable. Jesus rises from supper, a place of rest and comfort, like he rose from his throne in heaven, a place of rest and comfort. Jesus laid aside his garments, taking off his covering. Jesus laid aside his glory to come into this world. Jesus took a towel and girded himself, ready to work, in the same way that Jesus took the form of a servant and served throughout his earthly ministry. 
Jesus poured water in a basin, ready to clean. In the same way that Jesus would pour out his blood on the cross to cleanse us from the guilt and penalty of sin. Jesus sat down again after putting on his clothes and washing their feet in the same way that he sits down at the right hand of God when he has completed the ministry to which God has called him. It finds this parable its supreme embodiment in the cross to which it points. And the interesting thing here is that the words that John uses for taking off the garments and putting them on are the same ones that he uses later in John, or earlier actually in John 10, where Jesus is talking about laying down his life and then taking it up again. So it's got that dual meaning going on. Jesus loved by showing his love. The second thing that Jesus did in his love was to love not as the world loves. And I'm just gonna pick a little bit on Megan Trainer here. I don't know if you know Megan Trainer. If you're young, you probably do. Um, she's a great singer, but she expresses our world's understanding of love in one of her hit songs entitled, I Love Me. Listen to the lyrics. I don't mean to brag, I don't mean to boast. I love all y'all, but I love me the most. Go and raise your glass, give yourself a toast. I love y'all, but I love me the most. And is that not the disease of our culture and of us, if we are honest? And the way that Jesus loves is the way that God loves. Notice in this chapter that Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Jesus loves us the way that the Father loved him, that eternal love, that fountain of life and love in the Trinity. And then he calls us to love one another in the same way that he loved us. And there are a couple of characteristics of how he did that. The first is that Jesus' love is incarnational and vulnerable. He chose to become one of us, and he entered the world in the most vulnerable way you could ever imagine. The God of the universe took on flesh and was born as a helpless and utterly dependent baby. And throughout his life, he demonstrates that vulnerability. And I love this quotation from C.S. Lewis about the way that love and vulnerability are so connected. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you wanna make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully around with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements, lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it will change. Your heart will not be broken. It will become unbreakable impenetrable, irredeemable. The only place outside heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the danger of love is hell. Jesus lived his life being vulnerable in every situation, putting himself out there, choosing to allow himself to be rejected and ultimately put to death by those whom he had made. Which brings us to the next characteristic, that Jesus loves us in a way that is selfless and sacrificial. 
And you see this over and over again, and we're so used to hearing it that we miss it. But I want you to listen to these words from the author and preacher John MacArthur on this topic. The innate nature of Christ's love is that it is selfless and sacrificial. He shows this repeatedly, even in his death. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. When Jesus was arrested, he arranged that the disciples would not be taken into custody as he offered himself. While he was on the cross, he made sure that John would care for his mother, Mary. He reached out to a dying thief and saved him. It is utterly amazing that in these last hours of carrying the sins of the world, in the midst of all the pain and all the suffering he was bearing, he was conscious, for example, of that one would-be follower hanging on the cross next to him. He loves utterly, absolutely, to perfection, totally, completely, without any reservation. At the moment when most men would have been wholly concerned with self, he selflessly humbled himself to meet the needs of others. Jesus' love is relentless. It follows you. It chases you down. It is remarkable how Jesus was patient with his disciples and continued to love them when they failed over and over. And as we will hear in the coming weeks about Peter, Jesus' love for Peter is a model of the way that he loves our wayward souls. N.T. Wright puts it this way, from the very beginning, Jesus' followers insisted that his crucifixion was the personal expression of the ultimate divine love. The Son of God loved me and gave himself for me, said Paul in Galatians 2.20. And he and John returned to this theme over and over and over again. God's love is relentless. We simply sense, whether we can articulate it or not, that the cross is the effective sign that the God who made the world is the God of powerful, rescuing love a love that has come down to share the depths of human tragedy and by taking the weight of that tragedy on himself to rescue us from it and enable us by his spirit to share in his new creation. This is a love that will not let us go. And then lastly, Jesus' love is tactile and sensory. Look at the images from this night. Jesus takes water and stoops down and takes the dirty, smelly feet of his disciples and washes them with those hands that helped make the world. There is touch and intimacy here. The Eucharist, this great meal that we heard described in the epistle that Jesus instituted in this Last Supper, encourages us to literally come and taste and feel and ingest Jesus himself, his presence coming into our lives. It is a way that we remember in that great word anamnesis that we talk about in theology, this remembering that connects us in the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist all the way back to that Last Supper 
where bread was broken and where wine was poured and where Jesus' presence indwelt those elements. We'll sing a hymn in a little bit that says, O memorial, wondrous of the Lord's own death, living bread that gives all thy creatures breath, grant my spirit ever by thy life may live, to my taste thy sweetness never failing give. Jesus' love is real and embodied and tactile. And the remarkable thing about all of these aspects of Jesus' love is that he loved in this way, knowing that all of those in whom he had invested his life, who had been with him for three days, would flee and leave him alone to die. As we will hear at the end of the service tonight from Mark, that saddest verse in the New Testament, they all left him and fled. My friends, Jesus loves us in a way that is absolutely amazing and that should command our attention. And the second thing I want us to reflect on is how are we to follow this example of Jesus and this instruction to do just as I have done? And of course, the purpose of an example is to imitate. It's not to have intellectual knowledge of or to comment on how that example differentiates from some other example, but it is to actually put it into practice, to imitate it, to do these things. And Jesus tells us something remarkable um, in the verse just after where our lesson tonight cuts off. He says, blessed are you if you do these things. There is blessing in doing what Jesus says we are to do. And what do we see here about what we are to do? And the first thing that's so easy to overlook, the first thing that Jesus did was to receive God's love. Jesus received God's love. He knew God's love. It filled every aspect of who he was. He received that endless love, and that enabled him to have that love overflow out of him. The great English preacher John Donne said that God's love is like a circle, and that circle is endless. Whom God loves, he loves to the end, and his end is not that he should cease to love them. No, his end is to still love them, and even more. N.T. Wright says, Donne echoes these words which we hear in tonight's gospel. Jesus, having loved his own who were in the world, loved them to the uttermost. He loved them to the end. There was nothing that love could do for them that love did not do for them. And as we saw, this was expressed graphically when he took off his outer clothes, wrapped a towel around himself, and to the surprise and alarm of the disciples, washed their feet. And then putting on his clothes again, he told them they had to do the same. That is the message upon which Christianity is founded, to enact and to embody the love of God to this broken, hurting, and dirty world all around us. Secondly, what Jesus tells us to do is to live with a kingdom perspective on what love truly is. A little further in this passage, Jesus will say, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself 
and glorify him at once. And right after that comes a new command I give you to love one another as I have loved you. But the interesting thing here is this word glorious just over and over again. It's five times in one verse, glorified, glorified, glorify, glorify. Jesus makes five references right there. The world looks at the cross and says foolishness, humiliation, disgrace, curse. Jesus looks at the cross and knowing what would be accomplished thereby can truly say, here I am glorified. The glory of Jesus' self-giving love is perfected in the cross. And then Jesus says, I will be with you a little longer where I'm going, you cannot come, which would have been like an earthquake to the disciples who had left everything to be with Jesus and have come to love him. But he encourages them by what he says next. He says, love one another as I have loved you. They know how Jesus loves. They've been with him day and night for three years, and they are to take up that mantle of love. And what Jesus does is to take that command to love and flesh it out by that great example of washing their feet and then by the example that is to follow of his giving himself over to be taken and arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, to be betrayed into the hands of sinful men, and ultimately put to death on the cross. But Jesus tells these young men that are with him that the ultimate identifying mark of who they are is to be the love that they share among themselves, that channels that love that Jesus is sending down to them. And the remarkable thing is the early church seems to have done that, the secular historian Tertullian reports that pagans of his day, a century after this gospel was written, said of Christians, see how they love one another. Friends, we need to contemplate and meditate and to reclaim the deep understanding of how Jesus loves us. If we will think about his love, if we will focus on what happened on that cross, on how Jesus is that lamb slain for our sins whose blood saves us, it will change our lives. If we will then begin to love in such a way that Jesus' love can reach out and bring within that saving embrace on the hard wood of the cross all of those whom he has made who have wandered and are lost, then we will have loved as Jesus loved. Do you know how deeply Jesus loves you? Do you know how deeply Jesus loves you? Do you know how deeply Jesus loves you? May we all pay attention as we listen to the events of this night and the events of Good Friday and then the events of Easter Sunday to know the transforming love of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.